This is the Chronicles Podcast, a production of Chronicles Magazine, the original outlet for paleoconservative thought and a bastion of the authentic right in America. Welcome to another episode of the Chronicles Magazine podcast. I'm Chronicles Executive Editor Edward Welsh, and with me is Chronicles Assistant Editor John Howding. It's our great honor today to have on the podcast America's greatest undercover investigative journalist, no doubt, James Keefe. Um, Keefe is the founder of Project Veritas and a pioneer in undercover investigative journalism. Over the last 15 years, O'Keefe's reporting has exposed the goings-on of the left at Planned Parenthood, ACORN, leftist biased at media institutions like NPR and CNN, election fraud, and a range of no, uh, number of other uh, issues. And most uh, recently, um, a blockbuster investigative report um, exposing uh, directed evolution at Pfizer. James is now at his own group called O'Keefe Media Group. Welcome to the Chronicles podcast, James. Great to be with you. Thank you for having me. So. Recently, uh, you were on, um, you know, recently the O'Keefe Media Group has done an investigative report uh, with a Fox News media producer talking about some of the factors that led to Tucker's dismissal. Um, and, you know, despite the fact that, you know, a few months ago you've parted from Project Veritas, you're still putting out great investigative journalist, journalistic work like this. Could you tell me a little bit about what you you know, what you discovered in that interview with the Fox News producer, because he seemed to be suggesting that it was corporate pressure, um, potentially this Dominion lawsuit, as well as potential pressure from advertisers that led to uh, Tucker's dismissal. Thank you. Um, that was a, a, a nighttime Fox News producer. This was right on the heels of Tucker Carlson's ouster from Fox. And uh, he was talking about... Uh, advertising pressures that some of the people at Fox that are owned, rather on, uh, large investors into Fox, also the same large investors into groups like Pfizer. Um, and he was sort of speaking freely about the influences advertising has on Fox News, which is not surprising to anybody. None of the stuff we expose is a shock to anybody, but it sort of confirms the suspicions that we all know to be true. And the biggest revelation that this nighttime Fox producer said he did not know he was being videotaped. Um, the biggest revelation was in regards to the settlement with Dominion and Fox. One of the terms of the settlement was that Tucker needs to go. Fox denies this, by the way, on the record with, uh, I think with Axios reported, that Fox vehemently denies that that was one of the terms. But this producer says it was. and. Other sources have told me that it is in fact true. So that was that was it, the story in a nutshell. It's it's interesting, you know. Pfizer was a big advertiser as well, and you know, you were on the um, Steve Bannon's War Room report recently, and you seem to suggest that Pfizer also may have had a hand in your ouster from Project Veritas. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Why do you suspect that? I know the timing is suspicious, but uh, what makes you think that? Well, um, I think that the only thing that changed in the 15 or so years 
14, 15 years since I founded Project Veritas was that, that massive story. It was the biggest story I ever did. You know, it had like, I don't know, 40 million views, which was which is five to ten times more views than anything else that we've ever done. Um, and uh, and that's the only thing that changed in my, my life. Uh, as I said, I, I gave like this departing speech uh, back in February, February 20th. You may have seen that. Uh, it was viewed quite a few times. Where I was quite candid about my reasons, and I've decided to take the high road here and not really get into the nitty-gritty. I'm more forward-looking. Um, there was a great essay by by um, Dr. Robert Malone, and he wrote a piece about this whole episode, and it was called The Institutional Pathology That Removed James O'Keefe. And one of the things Malone wrote in this article was, um, the, moment, the moment of greatest achievement often carries the greatest risk. What does that mean? Well, he, he elaborates. Um, Oftentimes, you know, you know, people view me as a liability. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. If, if you're over the target, if you're getting flack, you're a liability. If you're a risk taker, you're a liability. If you, you know, and and people can question that. In the media business, you guys write a lot about Chesterton, and I know John quotes Belloc a lot. In the media business, you have to look at who owns the media. Who's the owner? Now. In a non-for-profit organization, many people don't know this, but non-for-profits aren't actually owned by an individual. There's a board of directors which governs it. Um, in the for-profit world, like at Fox or CNN, you have a board of directors, you, you, you have investors. Um, and if you look at the investors carefully, you, you notice that the same people own the national media corporations own or the largest investors in pharmaceutical companies. So in, in my in my case, um, I don't really want to I don't really want to say much except to say that I learned a lot from what I went through. I never really focused on board governance or board maintenance. I never really thought about these things. I was so focused on, you know, running running the organization and doing the stories and raising the funds and, and raising the funds in order to do the stories. I, I, I viewed fundraising as a means to an end. In other words. I didn't view it as the end. I viewed it as a means to doing whatever I had to do. And however expensive a story was, some of the stories cost us a million dollars to do. That's okay. Um, I never really focused on board governance, board maintenance, and that's my fault. And I learned something about the way the way the world is, which I hope will make me a more successful and effective messenger in the future. So yeah, Chronicles is also owned by 501c3 and um, sort of similar situation. And there's always, it seems to me, from my experience of doing this for the last five years, there's always board politics involved, especially if the 50c3 is involved in anything related to politics. But um, you're in a different structure now, right, for the O'Keefe Media Group. You're privately owned and you're not relying on donors as much anymore, are you? Could you tell us a little bit more about how you're doing the business differently this time? Yeah, I mean, number first of all, I 100% own it from a corporate perspective. Um, I took on no debt to, to do this. I um, I have a, a you know a fraction of the staff at Veritas. We had 70 people. You know, 
now, now I have about a, about a dozen full time, uh, and we're, we're a subscription based news organization, meaning that people have to buy a subscription on the website to get access to the to the full director's cut, as we call it. Um, so so it's not a non for profit. I'm not I'm not asking for donations. Now a lot of people click that subscribe button be, simply because they support us. In fact, some people have sent us money. Um, even though they didn't get a tax deduction. So, so there's that aspect. And I've always been concerned about investigative journalism, a business model for investigative journalism. I think it's very difficult to find a business model for the sort of things that we do because it's so damn expensive and so damn litigious. When people are caught, they have a tendency to sue, not because I've done anything wrong or illegal, but because what other, what else can they do? I mean, <laughs> and and they view me as a big, fat, juicy target. Now most, now most people in media, when they get sued, they settle. That's, that's true of CBS News, it's true of 60 Minutes. I mean, Mike Wallace got sued like 100 times in the 1980s. You don't see that on the top of his Wikipedia page. But it, th- th- that's happened with me and, and um, we, we were spending, I don't know, you know millions and millions of dollars on, on lawyers. So it became it became a little bit unmanageable because I had to raise all this money to pay all these lawyers. How do you solve that problem? I don't know. But my hope is and my belief is that with a subscription-based vision um, and you do really hard-hitting journalism, enough good people out there, it's like a populist movement, enough good people will, will, will support you as long as you do the right thing. That's my belief. I will test that belief now that I am untethered, completely free, unchained, you know, whatever we want to say it, at uh, O'KeefeMediaGroup.com. You've had a lot of, you know, this, this ouster after the Pfizer reporting is not um, the first challenge that you've faced. In 2001, you were raided by the FBI. Early on in your career, you were jailed, I think, in, was it Louisiana, when you were investigating Mary Landrieu? Um, I, I just got to imagine that your worldview from when you started 15 years ago, your worldview about the media landscape has changed a lot as all this pressure, state pressure, corporate pressure has come on you. Could you tell us a little bit how your worldview has changed? How do you see the media landscape differently? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm still going through that as I speak. I don't think I'm yet at the, at the outcome of whatever process I'm going through. There's a lot of introspection. Um, I think I've learned a lot about human nature more so because I don't think it's, you have institutions and you have human beings that are in these institutions and, and are there good people and bad people? Good people do bad things. The line that separates good and evil runs through each and every one of us. Right. And we have to understand that we might, oh, it's always the other guy. That's the greedy one, right? Not us, but you, you really take a look at yourself. You look at the people around you, power tends to corrupt, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely and you know I, I've known John for many years you know I started Veritas it was very humble beginnings I mean it was actually so humble it was an impossible beginning because I was on federal probation when I started Project Veritas I had negative equity I had credit card debt not a lot but some and everyone thought I was crazy so everyone thought I was crazy I was in debt and I was on federal probation <laughs> so and 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 I and I we built it, 
and then and then I was arrested, and then and I was on a high again, and then I was low again. So I've been through these sort of ups and downs in my life. Um, I think it was Nixon that said, you can only understand the highest high when you've been to the deepest valley. But I, I definitely have been a little more disillusioned of late, um, mostly because I always thought people were trying to help me. I always thought people were good and they were tr truly trying to help my, my cause. When, 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 in, when in fact, many, many people that were close to me, I don't think all the people, but certainly a, a lot of them, were perhaps working, working to replace me or working to become me. Right. See. And so human ego. I don't, I don't think anybody. Can... Human What's ego that? and pride is part of it. Um, there was just um, okay. I, well, that's very that's very interesting. I mean, some people who are cynical um, would say, you know, people who we do political philosophy, and there's this um, James Burnham elite theory talks about. And, you know, there've been been others. Um, like um, Moldbug and others who've talked about this, the, the concept of the cathedral. And it's that power will never let anything challenge it for very long. And it seemed like for a long time, Tucker was allowed to exist, you were allowed to exist and continue doing good work. And then just all of a sudden this spring, the hammer came down. Um, and some of these people are very cynical about elite theory would just say, well, th there you go. That, that is um, that 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 is inevitable. But any of these dissenting voices will eventually get crushed. But see, you know, in sorry, I'm going on. But you know, in your book, um, American Muckraker, you kind of show a a vision of American journalism from its early years um, till now. And there was always this struggle between those who owned it, who wanted to control mm -hmm. the message, the wealthy interests in the days of yellow, yellow journalism, where all the papers were supported by one political candidate, one party or another. And then there's this um, desire for truth. Um, and, and, and there's always a struggle between those, those, those two things. Truth doesn't pay the bills a lot of times, you know, powerful interests right. when you use it. So uh, right. where, where, this, at this current moment where we're, where we're at, where do you see the balance of the struggle between these forces of, you know, the corruption of journalism and the, the purity of such it. a good, I mean, that's the issue at hand, right? That if, if I know the answer to that, I mean, I mean, you know, you know John sent me this, this was a, a quote from the free press written in 1917. Just, just listen to this for a minute. Um, an individual newspaper owner might have the greatest possible dislike for the trade in medicine. He might object to the swindling of the poor, which is the soul of that trade. He might himself have suffered acute physical pain through absorption of one of those drugs, but he certainly could not print an article against them, nor even an article describing how they were made without losing a great part of his income, directly and perhaps indirectly, the whole of it, from the annoyance caused to the advertisers, who would note his independence and fear friction in their own case. He would prefer to retain his income, persuade his readers to buy poison, and remain free personally from touching the stuff he recommended for pay. So that was 100 and, 106 years ago written. Um, a lot of this is, I think you have to be a bit, you have to sacrifice something. You have to, be, you have to be, work against your own self-interest in many regards. To, to do this. And I wrote about this in the first chapter of my book. The first chapter is called Suffering. 
suffering. You might say, well, my God, you're writing about such a thing like that in a journalism book. Yes, because anybody who, 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 deigns, who, who dares to do anything like this, you're going to get pilloried. If not physically, most people are concerned about my physical safety. That is not how they've hurt me. Um, they, they've sent the FBI, uh, obviously removed from the organization I founded. I've been in court many times. But to, but to your point, I mean, where do we stand right now? The answer is unclear, uh, Edward. The answer is, is, is I don't know yet. I'm, I'm, I'm in the product development phase of my evolution. And uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I, I think that this is a good thing that has happened to me, and here's why. Because an investigative reporter is supposed to show the world as it is. And if I have been disillusioned in any way, it's a good thing. Because by removing my illusions, I'm going to do a better job of revealing how the world actually is. I see. That's a very good answer. You know, um, I, I'll just tell you a little bit of my background is, I'm curious about why you decided to take the path you took because I started in journalism, you know, around the turn of the millennium, the early 2000s. And, you know, I was conservative, so I knew I was going into an industry filled with, with lefties, right? So I, I specifically decided, you know, I wanted to work for the Wall Street Journal and eventually I did for, for a few years. And I decided the best way to do that was just to hide my political affiliation and go through the establishment route, go to journalism school, make the right connections, keep my head down on my political beliefs, and just kind of keep it secret. Um, and, and, and hope that that would drive me, you know, eventually to a place of power where, you know, I could eventually, you know, be, be a conservative and, and be in media. Otherwise, I felt I would be crushed early on. Um, mm -hmm. And that's one route to take. But I think eventually people suss out where you are and, and you know, people who are much more, uh, you know, they have the, like, I, I imagine, you know, you showed at CNN, it was, it was fascinating to me to show this inside picture of CNN with Jeff Zucker controlling everything. I, 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 in that organization, you don't advance unless you are not just keeping your head down, but you've got to actively parrot his viewpoints. So I don't know if the route I took was the best, and eventually, you know, here I am in alternative conservative media anyway at, at the end of the day. You decided after Rutgers that you were just going to go in your own path and you avoided that whole establishment track. Why did you, did you just intuit early on that that was the way to do it or why, or is it just your entrepreneurial spirit that you don't want to join a, a established organization? Why did you take the route that you took? That, these are good questions. Um, I think I tried to do the establishment route and I failed. So. Well, um, I thought you very early out of um, undergrad went your own way. Why do you say you tried the establishment? I, I did. Well, I mean, in 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 at Rutgers, I, I wrote for the Daily Targum, um, uh, which was the main campus, you know, newspaper, and I didn't get renewed in my column. So there there were you know there was that. Um, and I started my own newspaper called The Centurion. It was a monthly magazine. The layout was modeled after National Review, but it was focused on campus investigative muckraking exposés. I, I guess there's always like this tension in us between wanting to be liked by the powers that be, like the Pulitzer Prize Committee or writing for the, getting your op-ed submitted in the New York Times. That exists in all of us, right? 
probably exists in you, exists in me to a certain degree. It's not zero. Uh, but to the extent that that can be reduced to the lowest amount, that you don't care about what they think about you and you don't need their, you know, you don't need to be, you know, I've submitted stuff to the Wall Street Journal. They never ran it. Um, and it disappoints you when they don't, right? To the extent that you don't care about that anymore is the, is the moment you become truly free to, to pursue truth. To, to So the question is, why do we care so much about what CNN says about us, what the New York Times says about us? Why don't the Wall Street Journal run my piece? Why wasn't I renewed in, at Rutgers for my campus daily? Why, why, why do I need that? Why do I want that? That's the inner work that we have to do. Now, I just, you might say, well, why did you start your own thing? Well, I don't know, because everyone always asks me that. Like, what was the original seed that turned this acorn into an oak? Because I, I wanted to go do the thing. I needed to go do the thing. That was my need. I needed to go expose the professors. And the only way for me to do that was to grab a camera and go do it. Because no one else would let me do it. And I, and I guess I can't work for anybody else. That's obviously clear now. So, but the, but, the, but the more important question is, what is it about us that makes us want to be liked and admired by these institutions that are so ostensibly bad <laughs> and perhaps evil? Why, why, are we, why do we care so much? And most of us do. Even I do. Maybe like 2% of me does. You know, I, you know, earlier it was maybe 10%. So that part's interesting to me. Now, uh, you mentioned John was one of your, your early employees. So it, it's, it's kind of funny now. John is working for us as he's, he's assistant editor of the publication. You, John was uh, one of your first, uh, what was he, number two, number three? How, how, how early in the chain was John? Yeah, something like that. Probably, uh, probably number. I would say like number three or so back in two thousand and eleven time frame. So, what was it like working with uh, John Howding? Maybe better asking John what was it like working with James. John wrote. Uh, John wrote for Chronicles. Uh, you know. Um, uh, recounting his uh, first reporting assignment where he was going after a Media Matters uh, producer and uh, the guy ended up ch chasing him down the street. That was a, it was a hoot and a half. <laughs> that, that wasn't quite the first. There was a couple before that I did when I was still in college. But this was, uh, I think this was the most perhaps memorable. Yeah. That was a, a great article and, and uh, I read that um, that was involving a Media Matters executive who J John showed up. See, I don't know what John wants me to divulge, but, you know, there's no harm in being fully honest, I guess. John w dressed up as a Verizon technician and knocked on the door of this Media Matters guy who was just a constantly mosquito ankle biting us all the time. So that was more like, I guess, more like Gonzo. But John was really good at this, and I've, I've, I think in the last decade I've like tried to re-recruit John three times, and he's always resisted my entries to do that. Um, John was very talented at this, probably still would be. It's sort of an improvisational acting where you're where you're, you're getting the person to open up. He did a great story on on um, Congressman Moran in 2012. His son was 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 
and John met this guy at a cozy restaurant like minutes before. The most remarkable thing about this video is that most undercover work requires multiple meetings. You got to John within like three minutes of this discussion after getting a bagel or something. John is getting this guy to open up about how to commit voter fraud and telling him, oh, here's how you forge the utility bank statements so that you don't get caught. <laughs> now, he's speaking in hypothetical, but it's still an example of the criminal mind that, that this guy had. And it was like one and it led to Pat Moran resigning from his father's campaign which is very Shakespearean because he was like the campaign, what was he, the campaign manager or something for field director, field director for Patrick Moran. So um, that was really great. John was really good at this. There is a, you know, um, I heard you in some of your other interviews, I think recently with Jimmy, Jimmy Dore over the weekend, you were talking about some of the craft behind journalism and how you basically get people to open up by talking about themselves and, and establishing rapport. There is a craft to journalism, and I hate, you know, I hate how people on the right, you know, there is this thing where they say all journalists are terrible, journalists are terrible, and I, I know what they mean. They're talking about establishment journalists and all journalism, journalism is crap or whatever, but there is a craft to it, um, a technique to it, and, and, and unfortunately, I think too many people on the right think that it's just a left-wing thing to do to do journalism. I mean, do you see that? Do you see that as a problem? Because I, I don't see, unfortunately, there's nobody on the right who is doing the work of primary reporting. Most, besides you, pretty much, almost everybody is just doing commentary. These are great points and great questions. Um, I would say most people on the right, the, the main issue here is people on the left people on the right are not storytellers. They don't, for some reason, and maybe we can talk about this for a, for a minute, they don't tell stories. They, they, they want to opine. It's, it's a power, and politics is about power, okay? Politics is about hurting the other guy so I can get ahead. That's what po power people do. That's never been my motivator. I don't, I don't do this to hurt people or to, like, I want to run for senator. I've, I've, <laughs> Not that I would ever be be be, be voted for, or anything. I have no desire to to ever ever be an elected representative. But most people do. Most people are are, are very ambitious, and and and. Um, but I think it goes more to art that that this is journalism. The way I see it is, I see it as a as an art form. You're, you're storytelling. You're, you're you're I call it cinema verite. You're you're, you're capturing things. You're you're, you're, you have to describe the events. Most of the time, I try to describe them in as minimalist as possible so that they're self-evident, but it's still a form of, of art. And the thing about art is it lasts. You know, most people will never remember what the people on CNN said or some commentator or, you know, people that opine. That, that's, that'll all be forgotten. But a great work of art lasts forever. Um, the Beatles, Johnny Carson big sports broadcast, these people last. And, and a great work of art is timeless, a symphony, novel, play. These have a greater, a, a greater impact than, you know, your, 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 what you're deluded with on a daily basis in American politics. So the way, the, that's how I view this. And the question is, more, why aren't people on the right doing this more? 
I don't. I mean, I don't know. I I think it's they're just white. Maybe that's a question for us to discuss. Are they wired differently? I mean, why, why is it people on the left? Why do they own storytelling, and why are they so much better at it? Is a great question. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer either, but it does seem to be that way. That the people on the right are more driven towards. There, there, there may be just be a, tem a temperamental difference. People on the right go into business. They go into the actual production of material things. The people on the left go towards cultural products. And unfortunately, you know, there's the, going in on uh, into material things and more mundane professions is more lucrative and it gets you more material goods, at least up front. But you end up controlling, if you control the culture, you end up in the end of the day controlling everything. And um, you control the culture through art and storytelling. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I did a, I did a, a thing last year called the uh, the PVE, Project Veritas Experience, which was a, it was kind of a, it was a bizarre thing. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube, type in Project Veritas Experience. It had mixed reviews. Rolling Stone actually raved about it. It was a musical about my life, so it was an autobiographical kind of singing, dancing, lip singing lyrics to different music which is like sort of the, my self-actualization. I'm, I'm a very artistic person. Um, I, I'm, I'm probably, one of my advisors says I'm probably one of the most misunderstood men out there because everyone thought I was political, but I was really an artist. And you could say, what makes you that way? I, I honestly don't know. I, is it God? Is it my upbringing? Is it nurture? Is it nature? I, I, I'm not a psychologist. But I will tell you that we need more storytelling. And we need good storytelling. And we need people who are motivated by such. Um, I, I need to surround myself with people who are, who are like that. Those are the people that I get along with. Those are the people that I jive with. Those are, I, do not, I do not get along with political people because the pursuit of that is, it's all about power. And I, and I hate to see what's happening even right now. Like, I mean, you, you look at the rifts between DeSantis and Trump and I've got, I, know, I know people there that are, I, I like these people. I just like them as people. And they're just going at each other's throats not over policy or or ideas but because it's like two gangs you know and i and i just i just it's just so not not something that i want to be involved in i i hope to interview both um trump and desantis by the way journalistically um but it's just it's just so i mean i feel like it's getting worse um so anyway that's what i think yeah, good art is always, you know, if, if it has a power motive, you know, if it's got an agenda, it turns into bad art, you know, good art must be motivated by truth, I think. Otherwise, it just seems transparently, you know, that the audience knows that there's an agenda and it, it becomes really hacky. The true, you, the good, the true, the beautiful. Yeah. Right. What would you advise some, uh, a young person who wants to, you know, um, follow, well, follow in your footsteps or, or what would you advise somebody who's, I say on the right, because it seems like there's an established pathway, as we said, for if you're on the left, you go through these cultural institutions where you're gonna feel at home. But if you're on the right and you wanna get involved in doing this kind of either journalism or, or cultural product from a you know, conservative perspective, what would you advise a young person today? I would advise them on the Nike slogan, just do it. I would advise them, you can learn more on the job in a few weeks or a few months and you can learn in all the years of school and even books 
I mean, I people learn differently, but I learn by doing. If I had read this stuff, I wouldn't. It wouldn't have. It, you know, you have to live it. You have to go do it. The best way to do that is in college. It's low risk. If you go to a public school, you can do investigative work. But you got you got to find your true calling. Not not everyone's meant to do what I do. Obviously, some people should run for office, um, and we need good people to run for office. It's not. I'm not, I'm not. I have no intention of doing that. But you, you got to find your calling by by trying it. I mean, I like you know, Edward. I, I went to law school. I dropped out. I went to business school. I dropped out. I tried these things, and it wasn't for me. But I would advise you to go. Go grab a camera. We're, we're, we live in the age of video. Instagram was not did not exist, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago when I started this. Um, AI is now taking over. We don't know where that's going to be, but we need truth tellers. We need brave people. We need we need brave people that have a conscience and have integrity, and will do the right thing. You know, this is like a cliche, but. Being a nice guy and being a good guy, it's been said, not always the same thing. <laughs> you know, we need good good men. We need good people to do the right thing and to take a stance. And increasingly in the face of overwhelming voices that are telling them that they're the problem. So listen to your, you know, trust yourself. Go out in the field, whether it's a camera or a pencil, probably a camera. Go out in the field and just give it a try um, and, and trust your own instincts is probably my, my biggest advice for the young person out there who's being inundated with voices telling them not to do this. And now your organization is actually giving out cameras to people. You're, you're going the citizen journalism route, right? I mean, could you tell us a little bit more about that? You're, what, what are you doing there? Well, I, um, I, my vision is to decentralize journalism basically do for uh, the uh, uh, citizen journalists what Uber did for the driver. So I think that institutions are becoming increasingly problematic as messengers. So my, what, I, what I intend to do is, is, is harness an army of citizens and empower them to go tell their own stories. So I'm going to be teaching them, we are going to be teaching them how to do this. We actually filmed a few of these master classes I'm calling it the O'Keefe Academy on ethics, law, technology, how to tell a story, how to communicate your story. We're gonna we're gonna be producing these. We're gonna be finishing them this month, and then we're gonna be putting them behind our paywall at O'KeefeMediaGroup.com for for 20, 20 bucks a month. You can get access to this, um, and then you can go do it yourself. I have shipped out a few hundred cameras. Many of the people on my on my list buy their cameras on Amazon, and then I just. I just direct them. I say, here, here, go to this place, go to that place. Um, because I think they can take one man down, but they can't stop an army of people. I've been saying that for years. So that's my intent is to, is to kind of create an army of thousands of, you know, camera holding truth seekers, give them a little training, um, and decentralize journalism and, and offer most of our good stuff behind our paywall. So that people have to pay to see it. I think people will pay to see it. I think, I think if people pay to see the other stuff they're seeing, I think they'll pay to see the filet mignon of investigative reporting. I was just, uh, I was just going to ask um, if you want to support somebody else in doing this, but you yourself do not feel comfortable doing it, or you yourself do not want to wear a camera 
and do the actual investigative work? Is there a way that you can support somebody else or sponsor somebody else in doing it? Thank you. Um, there is. Um, on our website, O'KeefeMediaGroup.com, which we're launching the back end th this, this end next week, you can just, there's an option there. Our cameras are quite expensive. The good ones are expensive, six, seven hundred bucks. You can just support us there and we'll send a camera. We have, we had 25 people sign up on our website just in the last week to be citizen journalists and they want to, they want to be sent cameras. One could say we have a, a kind of monopoly on what we do. I mean, we get diluted with tips every day. Hundreds of people want us to go investigate this and that. Um, so please do go to O'KeefeMediaGroup.com and sign up. And if you're, if you're philanthropic, purchase a camera and we'll send it to someone. There's an option on there for you to do that. Um, thank you for bringing that up, John. Is this program open to anyone? Can anybody sign up for this? Or is there any sort of barrier? There is. I mean, you know, we, 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 have to, we can't ship out the $700 cameras to everyone. We can, we, there's a process where I have a team of people that curate the information and, and looking at it determine, okay, this person probably should be sent. This person should not. Generally speaking, and this is, I'm speaking, I'm, I'm bringing, making very complex, very simple. As long as you don't do anything stupid, and you're not insane, um, we'll send you a camera. <laughs> so, so I'm just making a very complex problem. You know, as long as you're not insane um, or have a really, really stupid idea, we'll help you. And we don't break the law. 38 states, are, it's legal to record. 12 states, it's problematic. So we, you have to be aware of that. You have to sign a waiver. Um, but um, the vision is to basically open this up to everybody and to and to put it back on the people because everyone wants me to go out and do everything and I say I can't I can't do everything myself I just can't um, people actually have grown to resent me oftentimes for not doing everything which is interesting it's actually kind of unique to me I think people kind of expect me to do everything I can't do everything but what I can do is empower you and so i say you how about you go into that school board meeting how about you go into that government bureau how about you go into that to that corporate board meeting and be the journalist put put it back on the put it back on the citizen that's asking me and some people are willing and some people are not but we'll find the ones who are do you publish edit process and publish the result of the citizen journalism stuff on o'keefemediagroup.com or is it something else uh, or do you allow them to put it on their own channel well right now we're in the product development phase of that very question so we we don't know how it's ultimately going to shake out but uh my vision is that right now we're curating and publishing it we are doing it there was a girl in minnesota two weeks ago three weeks ago who recorded this is at a catholic school in minnesota this is a college and she recorded um, there that the, the, uh, one of the officials was saying that, well, when the transgender person comes to the dorm room, we want to keep that secret from her roommate. We don't want to tell the person that this person is indeed transgender. Now, that was recorded by a student, uh, and they shipped us the footage, and we paid her a 1000 bucks. So, so ultimately, we, we curate, we edit. And you might say, well, how can you be everyone's editor, James? That seems like an overwhelming task. Well, seems like a nightmare. It's a lot easier to be curating information than to be trying to go out and collect it. 
I mean, because what I, I what I have to do is curate it, collect it, and curate it is much more difficult by a factor of a hundred than simply curating it. I've become pretty good. We've become pretty good. My team and I have become very good at at quickly establishing what a story is and what a story isn't. And and most of what we get is, you know, you, I'm sure you've seen it, both of you, in your inbox, just thousands of pages, hundreds of pages of documents, boxes of documents. And I say, guys, if, nobody's going to read any of this stuff. If you, if you can't explain to me what it is in 30 seconds or less, it's not a story. So this woman in Minnesota going, shh, don't tell anybody. That's a story. And, and you can pretty much figure that out in about two minutes. So, so part, part of my challenge is actually teaching, teaching these citizens um, how to communicate and, and, and how to, in, in the internet era, in the era of Instagram and TikTok, how to, how to take complex information and make it quite simple. So the, this, the bottom line is we can do it. We are doing it. These are good problems to have. If it becomes so overwhelming, then we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we, when we cross it. Well, thanks so much for your time, James. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we wish you the best. And thanks again for appearing on our podcast. Thank you both and uh, keep up the good work.